a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. This study is entitled, God's People. Who were they? What were they commanded? How does this apply to the church today? We welcome you each Lord's Day or to subscribe so that you may have these questions answered from the book of Deuteronomy. Good morning, everyone. Um, as I just mentioned during our catechism time, we will be uh, in the concluding uh, scriptures of Deuteronomy 16 and then going into Deuteronomy 17 today. So we will be in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 21, through chapter 17, verse 7. So if you would go ahead and begin turning there. So, while you're turning there, I just want to recap a little bit about last week. Last week, Pastor Vance had covered the verses uh, 18 through 20 of chapter 16, and it was all about appointing judges and having judges that are just and uncorrupt judges. As we get into verse 21 today and work our way to verse 7 of chapter 17, I believe that you will see... Uh, that as all of us have seen, as you read through Scripture more and more throughout your life, that there is no disjointed set of verses. There is no disjointed set of verses. There is no giant leap from verse 20 to verse 21. Is there a change of subject, I guess you could say? Maybe. But at the heart, there is no change between verse 20 to verse 21 as to what is being told here. Last week, Pastor Vance had really drove home between verses 18 and 20 about doing that which is just. Where it says in verse 20, you shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Live and inherit the land which the Lord has given you and do everything that's altogether just. And that's what we're going to be seeing today in the beginning of chapter 17. So if you could and you're there, go ahead and stand up in the honor of reading of God's word. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 16, 21 through 17, 7, beginning in 21. You shall not plant for yourself any tree as a wooden image near the altar which or which you build for yourselves to the Lord your God. You shall not set up a sacred pillar which the Lord your God hates. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or a sheep which has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. If there is found among you within your city gates which the Lord your God has given to you, a man or a woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or the moon or any of the hosts of heaven, which I have not commanded. 
that, and it is told to you, and you hear of it, and you shall inquire diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or that woman who has committed that wicked thing, and shall stone to death that man or that woman with stones. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people. So you shall put away the evil from among you. God, we thank you for... We thank you for this word. We thank you for the ability to have it in even our own language. And we're thankful for the men whose lives were given that we could even read it today. We thank you that you are an all-knowing God who knows our ways, who knows our heart. I pray today that we search our hearts after reading these scriptures and after going through them and analyze what it means to truly worship you. Not only in word, but in deed. Not only on a surface level, but in a sanctifying level. I pray that you cultivate our hearts this morning. I pray that your word be illuminated to all in this room and all who will hear this message. I pray that you use me as a conduit to do so. We pray that you forgive us of all of our sins. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So today, this set of verses is all about forbidden worship. As Vance had uh, discussed at the beginning of his message last week, we can be thankful to know that as we read these verses in in this covenant, that you and I are not expected today to find someone transgressing the Lord, take them to the city gates, and stone them with stones. We can rejoice in knowing that, but we also don't need to overlook and say, then this has nothing to do with us. The heart of the matter here has everything to do with you and I. Just as last week, the heart of it has everything to do with you and I. So our topic is forbidden worship, and um, I knew that this would be the topic basically since the moment I was asked to to be here uh, bringing the message today. And whenever you kind of know what you're going to be talking about, it seems like the Lord places one thing after another in front of you. You guys know what I'm talking about. That has to do with what is coming up that you're going to be speaking about, that you're going to be studying. And one thing that had really stood out to me was this quote from a man named Carl Truman. Okay, And he had said, Cultural relevance can be a cruel mistress. Cultural relevance can be a cruel mistress. Mistress, I think that that sums up a lot of what forbidden worship ends up looking like in the end. You don't have to, we don't have to reinvent the wheel for worship. The definition of worship has been given to us time and time again. So the question is not, does God say what the standard of worship should be? But rather, will we observe 
and obey the standard of which he has set forth. It also makes me think of something that I just read recently from the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith in chapter 22. You can see it at the bottom of your bulletin here. Religious worship is to be given to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to Him alone, not to angels, saints, or any other creatures. Since the fall, worship is not to be given without a mediator, nor through any mediation other than of Christ alone. And we see through this set of verses here, that that is the warning that is being given to the people of Israel from Moses. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but there's one part here where God directly injects what he says in verse 3 where he says, which I, being God, not Moses himself, but what I have not commanded you to do. Also, what we're reading here is mentioned multiple times throughout the second reading of the law, Deuteronomy. We see it in chapter 5. We see it in chapter 6. We see it in chapter 13. We actually see it in chapter 12. Chapter 12 and 13 were the uh, the two chapters that I was tasked with bringing the message for previously. And just the similarity here was was uncanny. But it's all the inspired word of God. Of course, it's going to deal with itself. Of course, it's going to be reiterating what has been spoken. So really, the message today has to do a lot with truth, justice, and purity. Truth, justice, and purity. So, our first set of verses that we're going to look at today is chapter 16, verse 21, 22, and then verse 1 of chapter 17. Where it says, you shall not plant for yourself any tree or wooden image near the altar which the Lord your God has given to you. You shall not set up a sacred pillar which the Lord your God hates. You shall not sacrifice for the Lord your God a bull or a sheep which has any blemish defect. For that is an abomination to the Lord your God. So if you're following along and you're like my mother and you like to fill in the blanks. Your first blank there would be heart. Heart over habit. Heart over habit. Last week, as I've already reiterated, we had seen, we had read through the scriptures 18 through 20, talking about uh, those who would judge charges between men. This is a good thing. But robbing your neighbor, although it must be dealt with, how much more should it be dealt with when our God is also being robbed from? This is why I say that verse 20 And then jumping into 21, we're not changing topics, we're changing gears. Okay? We're still going down the same path, but the charge is becoming more severe. Okay? I'd heard this illustration told to me a long time ago. I'm not saying it's the greatest, but it is an illustration. If you and I were walking through a junkyard, okay, and there was a beat up, nasty old truck that ain't worth anything, and I pull out my key and I run it down the side of that truck, You're going to turn around and say, why are you doing that? But you're not going to probably call the police on me, are you? I would assume not. Okay? If I'm walking through, I don't know, the IGA parking lot, and somebody's got their car parked there, 
and I run a key across the side of their car, there's probably going to be ramifications for what I did, correct? There's probably going to be punishment. If I walk up to the presidential limousine and pull out my key and just run it all the way across the side of the car, the punishment's going to be more severe than it would have been if I had done that at IGA or if I had done that in a junkyard, right? The act was the same. The punishment is going to be different depending on the level of authority that we have here in a worldly sense. But when we sin and we rob and we blaspheme and we commit adultery and idolatry against a thrice holy and perfect God, the punishment is not a worldly punishment. We're committing cosmic sin. We're born into this cosmic sin. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't my fault. But it's the reality of the situation. So when we read 18 through 20, we see dealing with the judgment between brothers or between neighbors, we're now talking about committing these acts against a holy and perfect God. Theft would be an offense to God. Even if it's against your neighbor, it would be an offense to God. Why would theft be an offense to God? Because you're not trusting in his provision. To steal from your neighbor is to say that I don't trust that God can provide for my needs. Adultery. Committing the act of adultery would be to worship something other than God. The drunkard, through his acts and his deeds, is saying, without coming out and saying it per se, that he or she can find greater comfort in the drink than they can find comfort in God. When it says in verse 21 that you're not to plant trees here as a wooden, as a wooden image near the altar, some of you guys may have a translation that says the Asherah poles. The Asherah poles. That's what they mean by the trees or the wooden images. So if it's going to say Asherah poles, we probably need to understand what that is and why we shouldn't have it there. I assure you, if you've read this before, if anybody reads this and says, God hates trees, that doesn't even make any sense, does it? The issue is not the planting of trees, is it? The issue is what that tree would be representing to be in that location. Context, context, context. When I had preached previously in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 2 through 4, this command is given to the people of Israel. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. All of this is talking about destroying those Asherah poles. We see again here in the conclusion of chapter 16 saying, Don't plant this because it may lead to this. 
or you may try to emulate that which you had seen and you were to destroy. And these are the Asherah poles. So what is an Asherah pole and who is Asherah? Asherah is a pagan goddess who is supposedly interconnected, I guess we could say married, to Baal. You all have maybe heard of Baal before, okay? If you go to the Ark Encounter, there is a really, really graphic illustration of these pagan people going up to the altar of Baal, and in their hands is their own children, sacrificing their children to Baal. Asherah is of that same line of thought, these same pagan gods. And Asherah is someone who you would go and pray to in hopes of fertility. She would be considered a fertility goddess. If anyone puts their faith and hope in anything other than the Lord for fertility, they are saying that he is not in charge. He is not enough. The issue is not with planting trees. The issue is the heart of the man or the woman behind what they are doing there. Why are you there? Why are you doing this? What led you to this behavior? In verse 1 of chapter 17, it says, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or a sheep which has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination of the Lord. It may say in your translation, instead of defect, it may say evil favoredness. Evil favoredness. So this word defect or evil favoredness does not mean, once again, a physical flaw, okay? But something that's a flaw that could be hidden to those who are around, okay? I'm sure that plenty of us have had animals before that on the outside, if somebody's just looking in, they think it's all fine. But you and I know that it's sick. You and I know that it's not well. You and I know that it shouldn't be sold to them because it would be fraudulent sale. We know that, but the person that's walking up for that moment may be completely clueless to what's taking place. It says here that that bull that sheep, that sacrifice, although it may look to others to be exactly what you've been called to bring, you know in your heart that it is not what he has asked for you to bring. What does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with us? Well, I've titled this section, Heart Over Habit. How often have we brought before the Lord what we've been called to bring to him, whether it be, well, I was at Bible study or I was there every Sunday or I had my kids baptized, I did this, I did that, I did the other. But it wasn't done out of your love for the Lord, but rather out of habit of what you thought the expectation was. See, if we bring the bull or the sheep, or the goat, or whatever the sacrifice may be, and everybody else thinks that it's exactly, it's the most beautiful, it's the perfect, it's, we're doing everything we're supposed to do, but you and I know that 
It's not. I'm just trying to get rid of this one. We're not, we're not getting away with anything. We're not getting away with anything. So oftentimes, and I'm, I've been guilty of this myself, so oftentimes we act on the letter of the law, and by doing so, we miss the spirit of the law, and we miss the authentic blessing of the Lord. I'd say that my prime example would be from reading scripture for years, of reading because I'm expected to read. Correct? I'm a follower of Christ. I'm expected to read, and it would be like pulling teeth to get me to read. But I would do it. Chapter a day. My heart wasn't in it. I didn't find any joy in it, which that's not the goal anyways. But it was all ritualistic. It was all habit. There was no heart behind it. And I wasn't growing from it. I was trying to bring before him what I thought the expectation was, but there was no loving, giving, sacrificial heart behind what was given. It was habitual. It was ritualistic. It was tradition. It was behaviorism. And behaviorism has saved no man. Behaviorism has saved no woman. It's the regeneration of the heart through the Holy Spirit that alone would save. We won't give sacrificially of our time, our energies, unless we see the heart and have the heart to want to do so. Moving on into verse 2. If there is found among you within any of your gates which the Lord your God gives you, a man or a woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing this covenant, who has gone out and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or moon or any of the hosts of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it is told to you and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently." The second blank there would be the just judge. <clears throat> the just judge. There, there were so many notes that I'd written for just this section alone. Uh, after reading through commentaries, reading different translations, and just searching the scriptures and connecting it hermeneutically with different passages. Because God's word has a lot to say about this type of worship. And ladies and gentlemen, this type of worship is not gone. The worship of the moon, of the stars, and of the created things, you and I know we see it everywhere. We see it everywhere. I feel like I've really seen it a lot in the last couple of years post-COVID. The worshiping of the stars, and of the moon, and of the created things. I'm not going to chase this rabbit for too long. I don't have time to. But I assure you that witchcraft and pagan worship is taking place way more than what most people realize. Primarily through the means of social media. It's now vogue to label yourself in these ways. It's now vogue to wear clothing that glorifies such. It's not only in Hollywood entertainment, it's, it's here. It may be in your families. 
And it can be very, very subtle. You may not notice it right off the bat, but it's there a lot. It's there a whole, whole lot. So as we read this set of verses and we see, well, but they're worshiping these different things. Surely to goodness, the punishment shouldn't be death by stoning. Have you ever stopped and thought about how atrocious it would see someone being stoned? I'd never stopped and actually thought about what that would look like until the last couple of weeks. You've heard about it in your whole life. Obviously, it would be brutal. It's a brutal death. But to stop and think, these witnesses and those in the community who are being charged to carry this out and see this through, think of the emotional weight to see this happen. The onlooker for the witness, for anyone that has any connection to this event. We live in a time where things are so trivial. The death of someone is so trivial. You see someone beaten on a subway, what do people do? They film. We take all of this, these things so lightly. There's nothing light about someone being stoned to death. And if we know that there's nothing light about it, then we know the weightiness behind the charge being brought. If you're going to bring up this accusation, you better darn well be sure. And Scripture solidifies that here. This is not a trite thing. This is not a flying off the handle, well, I just don't like this guy, so I'm going to bring up this accusation. It's nothing like that. The weight behind this, you can't make the accusation and run. If you make the accusation, carry it out, follow it through, see if it's true, and if it's true and you're a witness, you're the first one to throw the stone. You're the first one to throw the stone. We could read this. The believer and the unbeliever alike could read this and say, wow, that's harsh. The crime is more severe than the punishment that they receive. The crime is more severe than the punishment that is being received here. And I know that that's strange and hard for some to maybe hear. But God is a just God. Not for any reason that you and I can decide for ourselves. He's not just because we are Christians and we've decided that he's just. He's not unjust because an unbeliever decides that he's unjust. He's just because he's the arbiter of truth. He's just because he's the author of all creation. And he's just because he's warned us so many times. He is a good father. A good father warns. A good father does not just decide all of a sudden one day, I'm done. I've hit the limit out of nowhere. A father warns his child because he loves his children. He warns them because he loves them. 
He's never been silent on these things. We can't act as if he is. We read back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19 through 20, dealing with the worship of the moon and the stars. And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, and all the stars, all the hosts of the heaven, you shall feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all people under the heaven as a heritage. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people, an inheritance, as you are this day. He didn't create the sun and the moon and the stars for you to worship them. He made them to blanket the skies for the heathen as well. He wants you to worship him, the one who saved you, pulled you from the furnace, snatched you from the grips of death. He wants you to worship him, not what he created for everyone. And it doesn't have to be the sun, it doesn't have to be the moon, it doesn't have to be the stars. A good father does not want his children to worship what he can give them. He wants them, he wants them to love him. Not simply what he provides. I do not want my children to love what I can create for them more than their love for me. That makes me a jealous father for the right reasons. God is not jealous because he needs you to, be, to satisfy himself. He's not jealous because... He's in competition with the world. He's jealous because he is the perfect, perfect God. And we so often settle for less. Go ask a seasoned believer. Go ask a seasoned believer in their elderly years if anything that they've ever owned even holds a candle to what they have in the Lord. Go ask your brother or sister in Christ across the globe who may look nothing like you or speak your language. What is the hope that lies in you? Why do you rejoice the way that you do? Because they know the Lord and they love Him with all of their heart. And they're fully committed. We are so blessed in this country. So blessed. Don't, get, don't, don't think that I'm saying that, like, that we can't have things. I'm not saying that. We are so blessed. But how often do we put the material before the one who created it all in spectacular fashion? He is the just judge because when we place these physical outworkings of what he has made above him this is pure and simple idolatry we've made idols of these things I'll put it another way when we love or worship the moon, the stars, the materials, whatever it is that he can provide. When we worship that over him, 
This is simply an, an outward working of our inward distrust of his sovereignty, his provision, and ultimately his provision for us. If we then do we have to hold everything so tightly, if we then do we have to chase after other things to worship, to satisfy us, I have a strong feeling no one in here is going to be putting up an Asherah pole. I have a strong feeling that none of us in here are going to be worshiping the moon and the stars this afternoon. But if we look at the moon and the stars and we don't glorify Him and recognize that He is the perfecter of all of the good that we have, we're robbing Him. We're robbing Him. When it comes to making these accusations, as we see in verse 6 and 7, whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall, or he shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. I'm sure there were many people in the crowd that were hearing this from Moses and said, oh, thank goodness. Wouldn't you be thankful for that? I know that I certainly would. But the hands of the witness shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people, so that you shall put away the evil from among you. The expectation, if you're a witness here, is to not be guilty of any sin in the situation. The witness in this situation should be able to look back on the whole occurrence and ask themselves, was I blameless? Was I blameless? Because there's more than one party involved here. It's more than just the one that's persecuted. It's the one who's bringing the accusation that has to bring the accusation with factual information. With more than one testimony to prove that this is true. And to come and bring this before others is not out of hate for that individual. It's not out of hate for that individual. What's taking place here is the love for God. When I had taught from Deuteronomy chapter 13, we had seen whenever you have a family member approach you, when you have a neighbor approach you, or when you know that a, an entire city has turned itself against God, you see what his, what his justice was for this. I think it's also worth noting that in verse 4 and 5, <clears throat> that it says that man or that woman, no partiality to be given. Going back to verse 18 and 20, to have judges that showed no, no partiality in the matter. That man, that woman who has committed such an act. So if we're stepping back from everything that we've, caught, that we've discussed so far, we know that this not planting a wooden image is an Asherah pole. It's these pagan places of worship. We know that whenever we sacrifice, as it says here, the bull, the sheep, that you and I know whether or not we're bringing our best or whether or not we're bringing something that has a blemish or something that is less or subpar. All of this is pointing to and driving home the fact 
that our Father has done and had planned to done, had planned to do way before this was ever written, to send the perfect sacrifice that they could never provide and that you and I could certainly never provide. Please don't let the message today be to perpetually beat yourself up of, I'm not giving my best as it is here. I had a selfish intent with this. I know that I can improve in this area. I know that I can maybe sacrifice a little bit here, but I'm unsure of the future. Don't take that to be today's message. Because that's not today's message. Because if we have that on our mind, is everything that we're supposed to be doing? We still are living and walking as if you and I are the one that are going to determine our salvation. We're still putting ourselves in a point to where we think that it is something that I can earn anyways. It's the heart over the habit. It's the love of the Lord over the loudness of our singing. You don't have to be the loudest one singing to be worshiping the Lord. You don't have to have the most money in the offering plate to be loving the Lord. He's worth so much more than that. If he needed a song, he wouldn't be coming to me. If he needed wealth, he wouldn't be coming to me. But I sing and I give of my time and my resources and my energies knowing that he gave the ultimate sacrifice that I could never, ever match. Period. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 through 9 says this. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from a prison and from judgment. And who will declare this generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit. In his mouth. The death of Jesus Christ is the ultimate blameless lamb. The all fulfilling perfect sacrifice. Nothing was spared, nothing was held back. The final blank there is the surpassing sacrifice. The surpassing sacrifice. Our English language is very limited in the severity and the strength of words, but surpassing, what does that mean? If he is the surpassing sacrifice, what is surpassing? For something to be considered surpassing, it is greatly exceeding all others. It is of the highest of all degrees. I think that that's a pretty satisfactory word. Our Christ was the greatest Exceeding all others that could be given. 
And he is the ultimate and the highest of all degrees. Rest in the assurance of the blood of the Lamb. Walk in obedience. Give him your heart, not your habit. Give him your love, not simply his law. We will joyfully observe and obey his law because of our love for him, not because we're just obligated to. We should be the most joyful people in the world. We should be the most jovial people. They hate you because you love him. So what? You didn't get the job or the promotion because of who you are in Christ? He's going to provide. If you decide to be silent so that that can take place, you're questioning whether or not he will provide. Things aren't going the way that you want them to go in your family. Your relationship isn't as good as you want it to be with your spouse or your children. Give them to him. Your relationship will be restored or not by him regardless. It will be his doing. Put it in his hands and joyfully love knowing that he is the only comfort that we can all find. John chapter 19 verse 30. Landing the plane here. So when Jesus had received the soured wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It is finished. It's a It is paid for. It is paid for in full. It is not you owe 10,000, you owe 100, they owe 100,000, and I'm going to match what you owe. It is that the debt is paid in such a surpassing way that you can, it doesn't matter what it was. It's covered. It doesn't matter where you were before. It's covered in a surpassing way. And when you know that, you can rest in that. If my children are ever able to understand the love that my wife and I have for them, they will never have to question who they are. They will never have to chase the world to tell them who they are. It's the same for us. We don't have to be satisfied by anything else when we know who we are in Him. Pray with me. God, we thank You with every ounce of our being for Your Son, Christ. We thank You that our sacrifice, our blemished sacrifices that we bring to you are not our gateway to salvation, but that you made a way through your son who paid the debt that we could never even come close to satisfying. God, I pray that all of us here find our rest in you, those who know you, those who love you, those who serve you and belong to you, that we be a joy-filled people knowing who you are and that those here who may not have a relationship with you, God, to realize 
that it is not ever going to satisfy them to be appeased by the world or to appease the world. You have conquered death. You have made the way. I pray that we be filled with that in our minds. That when we go forward each day, that we've already counted the cost knowing that we belong. To be called a child of God and to recognize what that actually means. What you've saved us from. And that we could walk in joy all of our days. That we can be a joy-filled people in a dark, dark world. That we can have a culture centered around you. And that the world looks at us and says that there is something different. And that they see and they hear from our own voices that it is you. We pray that you be with us through this week. We pray that, that we be bold in conversations with others so that we can reach so many with your word. We pray all of these things in the name of your son, Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching. We hope that you join us next week for more in this study in Deuteronomy on God's people.